welcome your Backup Plan Tribe to another awesome, awesome show today. You won't believe it. We have a special guest from Utah. Her name is Rhea Iverson, and she is a death doula and an educator, but she'll talk about a lot more about what she does because she's awesome. And we can start our show uh, talking about walking with the dying a death doula's perspective. And if you don't know where you are located right now, you're on Tina's page. I am Tina with your Backup Plan app. I am a, a, I can't talk today. It's Saturday, so I guess my brain turns off. I am a emergency preparedness coach, a financial advisor, and an app developer of your Backup Plan app. And I'm so delighted to have you guys on our show today, listening about what a death doula really does and how it affects us, what it can do. Um, she has all sorts of experiences waiting for us. So stay tuned. We're going to have a short commercial and come back. Welcome back. My finger didn't push it hard enough. Welcome back, your Backup Plan tribe. Thank you for coming back. We talk about real life stories here about how quickly something can happen with these really amazing people like Rhea that we have on today. Um, it usually comes around from a life-changing event in their lives, tragedies, traumas, uh, sickness, accidents, that kind of thing, where it really changes your perspective, sometimes on your career, sometimes on the road and path that you go. And um, that's no different for our special guest today that we have on. Um, you know, every moment is, is magic so make every magic moment count because we are only given so much time we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring and in the blink of an eye something can quickly happen just like that and you're in a life-changing event um, something unexpected hits you and that could be anything from wildfires and hurricanes and earthquakes look at the earthquakes and Turkey and Syria in the last two weeks. Look at them in New Zealand. Look at the flooding and all the hurricanes in the States and everywhere around the world. It's incredible. Um, you know, there's something to be said about the five-minute evacuation notices because we're not always given those. You have to sometimes, there's no time at all. It's just in the blink of an eye. You have to make the right choices. You have to make decisions. And you have to have the right emotions to be able to handle it. And that's the problem in a shock because your state of mind is not there anymore. I always talk about, you know, your brain just disappears in thin air. I don't know where it goes, but it disappears. And then, you know, we have to think about, are we prepared for those moments? And that's where you get us, you get your backup plan because we make sure that you're prepared so that in the event, of something tragic, something in a circumstance, in the blink of an eye, something happens, we've got your back. We have everything organized and in one place so that you're prepared for your loved ones or your loved ones are prepared for you. So in that being said, um, please like, share and subscribe to our channel. We are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn and Pinterest. I'm going to make a song about that. I honestly am. It needs to be like a little, you know, like a little jive song or something, because there's just so many of them. It's just, I'm everywhere. <laughs> um, 
So let's bring our special guest on. Her name is, let's see here, Rhea Iverson from Utah. Let me find the button. There we go. Hi, Rhea. Hello. Welcome, welcome to your backup plan and show. And I'm so excited to have you on. Where did all of this start for you? Where you went into all of this? Oh, wow. Um, I I think that honestly, I I've always been a natural caretaker. Um, it's it's just been in my nature. I. Uh, you know, I was a young mom. I had a lot, of, I had five kids, um, by the time I was 28 years old. And so, Holy cow. yeah, the first, the first bit of it was really just kind of diving into motherhood. Um, but when I was 30, I found myself getting a divorce and, um, you know, needing a career and that was going to be nursing. Um, because it just felt like a natural evolution to where I already felt like I was. Um, so um, I, I did finally kind of, you know, I, I bounced around some different um, jobs in the hospital system and I, I landed. Trying to find uh, what interested you and stuff. Yes. Yeah. What, what fit. And honestly, I, I, I landed in the cancer hospital um, and that's where I spent most of my my career before nursing. Um, first it was just as a CNA and, um, really hands-on taking care of the patients being the first line of, um, you know, contact the first line of help, um, mm -hmm. when they needed something. And, and then, um, you know, just couldn't support a family of six on, um, those wages. So I moved over into yeah. more administrative role to kind of compensate there, but still working with patients in cancer. And, um, and yeah, it, it um, gave me a lot of experience taking care of people, especially at their most vulnerable during, you know, um, the last phases of their life. I got to be, um, you know, there for their families as well. And I, I kind of realized at some point during this, um, you know, this career working in the hospital system that I wasn't able to work in, um, in a way that I felt like I was really able to connect with patients. I was looking for something more holistic based and, um, you know, there's a lot of policy in the hospital system. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And so I, um, I decided that it was time to leave. And so I just started taking some classes through the college again to, to figure out, you know, what my next step was going to be. And that, um, I went into a birth doula class. And so I was working, you know, as, you know, in the cancer hospital with the dying and their families. And then I was also working, not working, but learning and, and working in um, birth. And I just had this really overwhelming, what, why don't they do doula work in death? This would be such an amazing resource and started doing research. Um, and they were out there. They just weren't close to where I could 
get into a class, I would have to, you know, go to um, the East Coast or, you know, yeah. somewhere like that or, or work virtually. And I, I also found that I wasn't really finding um, courses that were going to teach me much that I wasn't already doing um, or that I already knew. But I just, I don't know, I, I wanted to figure it out. I felt like this would be such a, an amazing um, thing to have. And um, I finally, I left the hospital system. I, you know, I started doing some just other um, clinical work in other companies and stuff yeah. while, while I wrote my own program. And I took my experiences in the hospital. I, I interviewed um, patients and family members and doctors and nurses, hospice, um, lawyers, anybody and everybody that I could possibly think of to get information and answer questions I did. And it took me about three years. And I put together um, my program, my end of life doula program and started teaching it um, on the side. Awesome. So, yeah. Yeah. So, that's so you've had so many experiences. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them have been in hospital before the actual doula term came into play for me, but it was still the same work, um, taking care of the dying and their family members. So. And, you know, it's, it sounds like a very similar situation as what I had. Um, I was, um, selling life insurance for a long, long time as a financial advisor. And um, some of the agents that came in through the system, they got the education from the company, but then they just weren't good at selling mm. life insurance. And so I was asked to, you know, do a little class on it. And I really didn't know at the time. And I thought, well, you know, why don't the managers do this? But they asked me to. And I looked at the picture of what they were actually doing, and they were actually trying to sell life insurance. And I said, you got to X that. Hmm. I want, before I have the next session, I want you to go spend a day at the cancer clinic. Hmm. And just look around, sit there, talk with families, just experience it. Yeah. And then next week, we'll talk about how you're not going to sell life insurance, but you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the real experiences are what people need to understand that it's very hard. People are going to put life insurance off till the cows come home because they don't want to look at that. You know, we don't want to do a will. We don't want to do all these things. We don't want to die. Yeah. You know, I talk about being Superman, all those people that you've, sat with didn't want to die yeah yeah um do you have any experiences around that like i think some people are very yeah. scared to go yeah um there really is a fear uh culture that surrounds the topic of death for sure yeah um you know this this is a common conversation in the death doula world um about you know, where did this start? Why, why are we so afraid to talk about death? And, yeah. you know, like, it's almost like people think that if they talk about it, they're going to manifest it. And yeah. 
um, which isn't the case, you know, it, it just is about opening a conversation and um, not being caught off guard. Um, we, we talk a lot in the, in the doula culture about the, just the, the fear that has been instilled by the medical community because they view death as the enemy. Um, you know, they're there fighting for people's lives when yeah. somebody dies on their operating table or in their um Care. hospital bed yes it it's viewed as a, fa a failure you know um because they want to save lives and so in that respect i understand it but at the same time i feel um feel like we haven't honored the process of dying and a lot of people aren't getting a beautiful death because they're so instilled with fear and they're not getting to, you know, die at home with their, you know, surrounded by family members or, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I have an experience. Uh, it was in the hospital where, I mean, you know, this woman was dying of cancer. It was inevitable. It was going to happen. But the fear, um, which came from family, um, saying, you don't get, you know, no, mom, you're not going to sign a DNR, DNI, which is a do not resuscitate, do not intubate. Um, you're not going to sign that because you're going to keep fighting. And I came on shift one night and had the experience of being the first one in the room while she was crashing, um, taking her blood pressure. And it's like, 60 over 20 and her Holy pulse. Cow. I mean, it was just, yes. And, and she was so full of fear. And, you know, if she'd assigned the DNR DNI, if she'd have had the conversations with her, her daughter saying, this is my choice, you know, um, if daughter could have had a better awareness and, and honored her mother's wishes. Um, it had those conversations. Know, Yes. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody intubated, but it's, it's pretty brutal to watch. It's kind of a violent act sometimes and it necessary sometimes, but this woman was our, I mean, she really didn't need that. And she ended up passing away that night anyway. And so, you know, there was all of this trauma, 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 and she still ended up passing away and it didn't need to happen. Um, so yeah, if we can just start having the conversations um, so that people in our lives know what it is that we want, um, what it is that, you know, we, we see our death, you know, what will make a good death. Um, that, that's a conversation that really deserves to be had. So. It sure does. We do uh, free webinars um, each month talking about just that having how to have a family conversation um, with worksheets. And usually I always uh, advise to have like three or four people instead of just two, um, because then you're not isolating anyone in particular. You're asking the same questions, sort of like a monopoly game. You just go around the board and yeah. you ask the same questions and everybody answers. And sometimes it's funny. Some, it's, it's actually funny to hear what some people say and everybody laughs and we have appies and we have coffee or drinks or tea or sometimes even alcohol. But 
just to have fun with those conversations is where I'm trying to get people at. Yeah. Too. yeah. Well, and you know, if you know that you're dying also, um, that's, that's where a lot of death doula work can come in is that preparedness. It's not necessarily, um, in fact, more of the work that I have done has not been sitting at the bedside at the moment of death. It has been helping people prepare for it, um, helping people understand uh, legal documents, helping people, um, you know, walk through the pro. What kind of questions do I need to ask the funeral director? Mm -hmm. um, what kind of phone list do I need to put together? Who do I need to contact? You know, it's a, a doula can come in and really help organize the process. And then when it's happening, they can, you know, doulas are an extremely caring entity but they can hold non-emotional space and, and give the room for everybody else to be emotional in that space. Um, they can remember to, you know, call people. They can remember, you know, they can be the ones that are answering and greeting, answering the door and phones and greeting guests. Um, you know, they can even be the one that kind of just sits at the house Here's something that a lot of people don't know. When you're when you have the funeral, make sure that you have a house sitter because a lot of times, if a funeral or something is, um, you know, put on the internet or in the newspaper or something, people will watch that and they'll come and rob the house while everybody's away because they know that everybody's at the funeral. And so, you know, a, somebody that's not connected to the family that isn't necessarily going to the funeral can and sit and hold that space, um, you know, and protect it for the family. That's a good, I, that's, that's a good tip. Yeah. There's, there's a, so many avenues that a, a doula can help in that process. And especially because um, in the moment when you're, it's like a wedding, it's just so much to yeah. think about and do and, and worry about, and you're not in the right frame of mind to, to it's not a happy frame of mind really. And yeah. so you're not going to remember about your house being left when you're off to the funeral, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you just don't think of those things. Yeah. That's yeah. a great tip. Um, also after uh, or during as well, when the person is actually passing, for people to understand, family members to understand what's happening. Yes. Um, yeah, a lot of times... Um, you know, especially if you haven't experienced death, you know, if, I mean, maybe you were really young when your grandparents died and now you're dealing with your own parents' death. Um, there, you know, there's a thing called the death rattle. Um, and it's just this congested breathing um, that people think, oh my gosh, they're suffocating. And that's not the case. Like there is not any discomfort that this person is experiencing in that moment. It's just the body is starting to relax now. Um, it, it's not functioning the same way we do on a normal day-to-day -day basis. And, um, that sound can be so distressing to the family until they understand this is not hurting them. This isn't distressing them at all. They're at peace. You know, their body is just continuing for now. So, you know, kind of try not to get attached to, to what you're hearing because um, they're okay. You know, it really is a lot of reassurance that this is normal. And 
Yeah. Yeah. What about, um, I remember my ex father-in-law passing away in the hospital and he would shake his head like this and he wasn't talking. Um, he was breathing, seemed to be fine, but he would close his eyes and he'd shake his head. And I think, I think the, um, family members from, from his past are coming to greet him. They're bringing him home, so to speak. Sure. And yeah. he would say, I'm, you know, no, no, I'm not, not going. Yet. No. <laughs> and yet. everybody yeah. just sat and watched that, but nobody really understood what was happening. Absolutely. That is, I fully believe, I mean, I've seen, I've seen people talk to, you know, unseen guests in the room. Um, it could have been also just his way of reorienting that he's still here, you know, and so this is a physical movement that he's connecting the body with. Um, so yeah, many, many different things to consider. Um, all everything is normal, you know, yeah. everything that happens in death is, is considered normal and acceptable. Do you also assist with while the family member is passing with the other family members to absolutely to bring them together to understand because it's a very emotional time and of course usually yeah. family members don't want them to go but um you know how do you I'll, kind of bring that tone down a little bit to bring space to allow that to happen yeah um you know a lot of the work that that end of life doulas do is with the family and not as much with the dying often times um, because a lot of times when somebody is passing away they're sleeping a lot and um, or maybe even in a coma you know and so there's very little to do as far as um, you know anything but maybe swabbing the mouth or holding that space or breathing um, a lot of it is talking to the family members, um, making connections there, asking them how they're doing, um, stepping in and, you know, doing a load of dishes or a load mm -hmm. of laundry, cooking mm -hmm. some meals and getting them in the freezer so that they don't have to think about that kind of stuff, um, reminding them to eat and drink, you know, because sometimes when they are going through this, they, even if the food is there, they're not thinking about that, you know, and so yeah. it's like, your brain disappears you thing. Yes. And so a lot of times it's like, I haven't seen you take a drink in a couple of hours. How about I put this bottle of water in your hands? You know, um, that kind of stuff. Going on a coffee run, you know, because uh, it's late at night, but we all want to stay awake. So how about I go run and grab us all coffee? And, you know, it, it's, I, I teach my students to really think outside the box, you know, there's no one way to do this job. Um, it really is tailor fit to whatever the the client and the family needs. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you're comfortable helping with a bed change, then that's okay to do that. If you're not comfortable with that and you want to let hospice come in and do that kind of stuff, that's okay too. Death doulas need to honor their limitations. Um, I learned the hard way that I, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of getting up in those autumn years and it's, this body doesn't want to lift bodies anymore. 
And because, so I don't just work in death, I do life as well. I do birth, I do death, I do everything in between. And I was lifting a client to get from bed to wheelchair and snapped something in my wrist. And I've had just a a wonky wrist ever since. Um, And so, you know, I have to come into, um, you know, agreements with families, just helping them understand I can't lift. And so if that's part of what you need, maybe I'm not the right fit. So, um, but there's usually other ways around that kind of thing. There is. Yeah. You can use assist, you know, like devices to assist. Yeah. Or ask the neighbor to help out for a minute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do you find it any different sitting around with a family in a hospice situ uh, environment versus at, at their own home? Do you find it different? Yes, definitely. Um, when people are at their homes, they're a lot more at ease to be vulnerable, to be to say what they need to say. I think people tend to be more on their best behavior if they're in hospital, hospital or hospice. Mm-hmm. Um, not always. Yeah. <laughs> so there again, you know, it's like there's no rules to this thing. Um, but yeah being at home i think just gives people a sense of comfort you know they're in their bubble and 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 they can cry and they can be angry and they can be silent and they can be happy and um yeah it's there's definitely i see a difference there yeah even though hospices are beautiful they really are yeah. a nice beautiful home kind of feeling setting yeah but the good thing is hospice can come into the home too, right? So they can still get that hospice care, but in their own comfort. Right. Um, yeah. We, as doulas, we love hospice. We we want to work in tandem with hospice. Death doulas are non-medical. That's where hospice comes in. They can do all of the medical things that need to be done. Those are nurses that are coming in. Um, but with hospice, you know, they have clients that they need to see on specific days at specific times. Um, Doulas get to kind of come in and fill those gaps. We can spend hours or even days um, working with a family and picking up the slack. Um, And so it's, that's why we are such a a good resource to have in that end of life cares because, um, you know, hospice can't be there all the time. Um, if, if somebody feels I think, like that they need that kind of constant care. I, I think one of a big plus that death doulas have that people don't really consider mm-hmm. is that if you had a caretaker, she doesn't have the, or he doesn't have the same understanding, I would say, of, of the situation in the moment versus a death doula has been had experience in the different avenues like the before, during and after. So I would think that you would get a very different underlying empathic understanding of what's happening and the dynamics of the family. For example, I could see if you went to the person's home and the family members with the sister, uh, uh, daughters or brothers there of the 
say the parent, that you can actually see pictures on the wall of the family. So you, mm -hmm. you can build an experience for yourself to understand the family better than yeah. say a caretaker is just going to come and get you a glass of water or mm -hmm. have your medicine or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's, I, I think it's just much more personal. It is. And we are, yeah, people don't just fall into a death doula career. It's they're called, it's a higher calling. Not a lot of people can do this work, working with the dying. Um, yeah. It's got to be something that you feel called to do. Because, um, again, there are no rules and you could really see some stuff, you know, um, and deal with some really heavy emotions. And so if you're not prepared for that or not good at it, um, it's it's you could really be the detriment to somebody's death experience. And right. So, Versus yeah. the best thing ever you know yeah 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 it's we just, just want to come in there and be a support system and and you know we're there to give them their death story um it's about their story and we're not there to hijack it we don't want to orchestrate anything we want it to look exactly how they want it to look because it's theirs um and so it is about kind of just honoring what do you want, really asking the questions, finding the, finding the answers, you know, sometimes they don't even know the answers. And so it's kind of about, yeah, you know, like looking outside the box, seeing, you know, asking questions about, you know, whatever, how did they live their life? What's a, what's a cool story that you remember helping with legacy projects. That's a really good one to get to know people is to mm -hmm. watch them together the stories and, and build the legacy around their dying loved one. Um, mm -hmm. You get to know them very well in that process. So. Have you experienced anyone who's been on their own, who had you come in before and there's no family there? Um, let me think here. So my, again, that, that kind of experience came in the hospital system. And honestly, um, I, I think this is a national program, but there is a program at the main hospital here called No One Dies Alone. And I think it's everywhere. Um, and you can volunteer. And so I volunteered for, a, um, a you know, not quite a year, I think. And that was going in and sitting with people who the hospitals had um, decided that they just had a few days to live and they didn't have family um, the ones that I was always with, though, were in comas. There was very little interaction. And so it really was just holding that space, letting them know that you're there, that they're not alone. Um, I, you know, you always go into that space introducing yourself, whether they're in a coma or not. I know that people can still hear if they're in yeah. a coma. Um, and so, you know, talking to them and letting them know that, that they're being looked after and that, um, you know, and you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, which is a big I, fear for most people. I think it is a fear, but then there's this other aspect that a lot of people might not understand. And so I do tell family members, make sure that, you know, you're going in and you're spending the time that you need and that you think they need, but also, stepping out for a few minutes at a time 
um, maybe once every couple of hours, step away for five minutes because there are some people who once they get in there, they don't want their family watching them while they die. They want to die um, peacefully without that, you know, these staring eyeballs, you know? Oh, and so, I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah. It happens um, often, you know, where family members will go, you know, cook some food and they come back and their family member has passed. And I, I really believe that a lot of times when that happens, it's because they needed to be alone. They, it was just kind of like, stop watching me. Just let me go yeah. in peace, you know, because when somebody's standing there watching you, it's almost like they want, you know, they feel like they need to keep having a conversation, being yeah. engaged and, and that left enough space for them to choose that that was going to be their moment. So, yeah. So don't anybody be scared if you go for a coffee and come back. Yeah, no, no, that that's because that's when they chose to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think afterwards? What have you found with when someone has passed? It's probably very similar to birth, where the family now has to consider what this dynamic looks like without the person there. Yeah. Um, did you ever experience any families that didn't really know what the past person wanted? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, I mean, honestly, I kind of think that you could be the most prepared person in the world and there's still going to be things that come up that it's like, oh, what did they want done with, you know, this or, you know, they've got a house full of plants. Who's going to take all these plants? We never talked about that. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, I, I say plants because my house is crazy full of plants and <laughs> I keep thinking if something happens to me, who's going to take care of these plants that I love so much. Um, kind of like your cat and dog kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there, you know, I, it's just really like do the best we can to be as prepared as we can have the conversations and, and give room for, you know, the extra stuff that's going to come yeah, out of it. It is. It's just going to come up um, and, you know, forgive, forgive them for not being prepared. Forgive yourself for not knowing the answer. Um, kind of go with the flow. There's got to be room for ebb and flow in this process because there are no rules when it comes to death, dying and grief. There's no rules. I've had a lot of experience with older parents passing away and, it's so strange how a lot of them, a very high percentage, have kept so many things. It's almost like they're hoarded things because they were all memories, I guess. And I find yeah. with older men, you know, it could be construction stuff or equipment and tools and tools, <laughs> and, and, you know, all of that kind of yeah. stuff that they had kept and never yeah. wanted to get rid of. So do you find it hard for the family to figure that part out after? I think so. Um, it, yeah, definitely. If there's not a plan, if there's not a will, if there's, you know, that, that can be very hard. And unfortunately, yeah. it also brings in that element of family members clamoring for possessions and people feeling 
you know, having hurt feelings because they wanted something and -and so-and-so came in and swiped it up before anybody got a chance, you know, and so they deserve it. They don't, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually know of a family who, um, you know, mom died and people came in and started taking things not realizing that somebody had been promised one of the paintings and somebody else took it and it created hard feelings. And um, I mean, things kind of finally got sorted out, but you know, it, it's hard when, yeah, when there's not a plan. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I try and tell people that as well in your backup plan, because just for insurance purposes alone, it's great to have pictures of your house, of, of your stuff that you have. Yeah. And then in that, you can determine who you'd like to have that item, yeah. as well right. as have the item categorized in your insurance section. So if you had a flood or a hurricane or something, you have everything all there. Everything right. is still... Um, you know, your buffet, because insurance, you might not have the receipt for it anymore. But insurance companies want the picture. Yeah, right. Or the model number like of of electronic items and things like that. So it's good yeah. to have lots of photos. Um, right. Even in the days of people with theft, There we are. I'm back. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, you oh, froze no. and I froze all at the same time. <laughs> oh, you're frozen now. Gee. Uh-oh. Gee. We were doing so well, too. I know. Mia's frozen there for a second. Hold on. See when she I... comes back. It's starting to come back now. Um, I find it very... Uh, heavy for the program to run a few more questions and while she's coming back let's um, make sure you like share and subscribe to our channel and make sure that you check out her information is all down below her website and her social media links are all down in the box below and make sure you share share this with your loved ones so that they know um, a little bit more information about what death doulas do and that kind of sounds funny and what what they're all about and if they would be something that you would consider in your family. So you're back, Rhea. Finally, we both froze like ice cream cones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't know what happened there. So <laughs> yeah, it's StreamYard. I find it sometimes um, difficult Um they must have a lot of people on it now. I think Zoom was having trouble too at some point. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess okay. that's what we have to put up with sometimes. Yeah. Um, so with being a death doula, how do you find it different as a um, birth doula? Um, well, you know, birth tends to be a little bit more happy affair, um, you know, bringing life in. It's something that they've been expecting for a while, you know, building up to preparing, you know, um, 
I, I can't think of any instances that I've seen that parents haven't been preparing for, you know, as long as they've known for birth. Um, now, isn't that funny mm-hmm. how we do that? Yeah. But we don't do it on the death side. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're a lot less likely to prepare for death. Yeah. Um, and even when we are preparing, like some people know they're going to be gone in three months or six weeks or four months or whatever. Yeah. Um, they're struggling at that point to get prepared. Right. Most yeah. of the time, but then realize that they probably weren't anyways, because we're never really it's almost worse preparing it's because you're grieving before it actually happens because you know right so it's a very difficult time yeah yeah i think with you know birth and death um just really being able to hold space for somebody and ebb and flow the way they need you to take care of them um birth doula is a lot more physical work on the doula um, than, than death. Um, you know, you're, you're squatting and you're, you're holding positions for a long time. And sometimes you're completely tweaked out for a while, you know, just pushing on, um, expectant mother's backs or their knees, trying to get their, you know, pelvis, um, aligned better. Massaging and rubbing. Yes. Yeah. It's a lot more, physical than than end of life so that's do you suggest to hold hands for the death doulas then for do you suggest that they hold that if you can do the touching part yes i mean you know i i am a i am a toucher i'm a hugger i um that, that physical connection to me, um, is so precious and, and so, you know, vital to, mm-hmm. um, just creating a, a tender experience. Um, it's not necessary if somebody doesn't like to be touched, that's okay because energetically you can hold that space just as tender without touch. So again, it's, it's, you know, just doing whatever they need you to do. Um, but I am not above cradling somebody who's grieving. I'm not above crying with somebody who's grieving. Um, is it hard not to cry? For me, it is. <laughs> for me, it's super hard. <laughs> it's, you know, because, yeah, I, I tend to feel like nobody cries alone in my presence. You know, when their eyes well up, so do mine. Because I just, there is that empathy of I... I can feel the grief. I can connect with the the loss. Um, I've experienced a lot of loss in my life, not even just with death, but just relationships and and friendships and you know, um, divorce. <laughs> yes, divorce. You know, I mean, yeah, so much that we can we can empathize with that loss and that grief and connect with people on and. And, um, and I, I honor and love those connections so much. I think that's why I feel so connected to this work. That's why I love it. That's why I stick with it is because that connection with people is why I do what I do. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. And it's a very special time. I always tell people that if you worry about all this stuff behind the scenes, you should have done that way before time, um, before this moment, um, that you can actually have space and, and be present for that moment, for, the, for this time that you don't want to regret because yeah. everyone always regrets it after. Yeah, yeah. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, I should have said this and I should have said that. And why didn't yeah. I go and see them before? And, you know, all of this stuff that you think about during that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, the things left unsaid. Um, that That's one of the biggest regrets of the dying is I wish I would have said I love you more. I know. I wish that I would have called my friends more. I wish that I would have, yeah, all had more things. fun. It's it's, it's all you know. about connection, right? It's all about that connection, and and um, and that goes for family members too. You know, don't don't leave grudges in the middle of death. Like, find a way to get through those. Um, find a solution around it. Yeah, because that little watch or teacup and saucer or the picture hanging on the wall doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. Love is the only thing that matters. We bring yeah. it back to the love that we feel. Um, even if our parents, I mean, who didn't have difficult parents? Honestly, who didn't have parents that we were just like, why did you do that? You totally screwed me up, you know? Yeah. But leaving those things in the way when death occurs, it doesn't, it, it, it's like that it's not never helping. mattered. It never mattered. The only thing that ever matters in this life is the love that we leave, you know, the love, the way we make people feel and don't, yeah, don't leave it on a, on a negative note. If you can help it, honestly, yeah. I mean, sometimes you can't even help that. So yeah. we work through that the best we can. I have actually worked with somebody who, um, it was very briefly um, trying to work with her because um, we just couldn't get our schedules aligned, uh, unfortunately, but she had a very difficult relationship with her mother her whole life. And she was the only one there to care for her mother when she was dying. And so she was caught in this crazy um, contrast. Feeling. I need to help her, but on the one hand, I... I don't like her, you know? And yeah. so, um, and honestly, I think that her needs were, were far beyond what, what my sp scope of practice, not, not necessarily was able to do, but, uh, con contractually should be doing. Um, she needed counseling. She needed somebody to help work with the mind and, um, that's not what a doula does. A doula can hold space. A doula can have conversations. A doula can, you know, hold that, um, that compassion and that empathy, but we aren't, we're not there to solve people's problems. You know, we're not there no. to, to, um, release the anger that they feel. But so, it's awesome that you can be her best friend for the moment to be there with uh, her mom who's dying. Like, I think sure. that is, a great comfort just that alone just yeah. to know that she isn't alone in this complex situation right as well uh, that must have felt really good for her to be able to 
And I guess it's not till after it's all over that you can actually say, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Even though you didn't want to at the time. Right. Well, and sometimes just, you know, having compassion that, you know, even though this person who might be dying, we had a difficult relationship with them, having the compassion to understand that people honestly really do the best they can. And when they finally learn to do it better, then they can do it better. But until they learn that, it doesn't happen. They just function in the way that they know. And yeah. so, you know, being able to, to bring in that mercy, bring in that compassion, um, forgiveness. I, I realized that you did the best you could. I wish that it could have been better, but honestly, I forgive you. Um, that just gives the release to the dying. It gives the release to, you know, the person grieving. Yeah. Um, there's no reason to hold on to, to that um, stuff. The stuff. Yeah. The baggage. That dogs you down. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep for sure. Cause like I, I always say, you know, might not have liked your mom, but it's not like she had a manual on what to do when. I mean, oh, good. That was a different no. era as well that they lived in. And, Absolutely. and their experiences were probably different than what a younger person's experiencing now. So, yeah. Well, and if you want to get kind of woo woo out there, I really believe that we choose our parents because they will be difficult, because we will learn from their trials from their issues from the things that we disagree with we we then get to decide what our journey looks like based on what they went through and what we disagree with and you know so I look at you know I'll just bring my own parents into this yeah <laughs> I love I adore my parents you know but there's so many things where I'm just like whoa you know <laughs> you really could have done that better but yeah. um but you know I chose them to be my parents because they were going to teach me how to do it better for me. So thank That's you right. parents. Thank you for doing, you know, what was right for you and wrong for me so that I could learn what I needed. And, do and it it's, me. it's a hard, hard lesson to learn. And it's those darn lessons again, universe. I'm like, <laughs> I always say no lessons today. I'm good. I'm good today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. You know, I'm at a point in my life where I'm looking back on all of these trials and all of these things that I went through. And I can just see so clearly the reason behind all of it. And but how, not during. Not during. Absolutely not during. But now I'm looking at him thinking, oh, my God, what a brilliant choreographed life I have lived to learn all of these things the way that I did. It was painful and I never want to do it again, but how beautiful, how yeah. beautiful that I can be where I'm at now because of what I've learned and been through. And right. I, I was, yeah, I, I love my life. Yeah, no, it's very, very true. If you can look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. But while it's happening, you sure have a hard time to do that. It, yeah, sometimes it just knocks you down and you're down for a while. It was but, like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> yeah. You know, I learned a very, I know this is kind of off the topic of death, but um, I learned a very constructive lesson recently. So I am a very emotionally and intuitively driven person. 
logic comes after, you know, yes. usually I kind of have to depend on, on the more logical people in my life to be like, Hey, did you think of this? But this lesson was so logical for me. And it was that I need to stop looking at my life as good and bad experiences, that my life is full of negative, neutral, or positive experiences. And to those, I have assigned a negative, neutral, or positive meaning to that. And so if I have a negative experience, it is my responsibility to figure out a way to assign at least a neutral meaning to it. Because if my meaning is negative, that is a, a, a flag that has been thrown up saying you're yeah. missing the deeper meaning. Go deeper. What what is it? And I can have really negative experiences. You know, I mean, I do. I've got a thousand negative experiences just in the last three years. But <laughs> but I look at those and I see the positive meaning to them and the reason that I experienced them. because and And that was that was growth. For me so yes absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely what kind of final message would you like to give the listeners that was a good one too <laughs> probably that but the one that i always leave on is it is all about love this whole life is all about love the only emotion that we ever have that comes from our spirit is love everything else is ego which the ego is important. We need the ego to help us sort the information. But it's when we get trapped in that ego and, you know, pride, entitlement, justice, um, depression, anxiety. Those are the flags that are saying, please address me. Don't sedate me. Don't push me off for another year. Let's deal with this. Don't um, push it down get, to my feet. Yes get back to love because every time we make a concentrated effort to lean into that love, we, we level up and ascension is, is we want to ascend. We don't want to descend, you know? Yeah, and so love absolutely. is the key. It's all love about learning. Key. Yeah. Well, thank you. That's awesome. Thank Thanks. you so much, Rhea. That was beautiful. You're welcome. Thank I you. hope all the listeners enjoyed that. And I wish I could have had more, people come on to ask the questions so that we could see a few questions pop up and we could have answered them. But I might have you come back on again and maybe do something similar to that and where people can, sure. can ask, you know, um, yeah. what they're thinking about at the time while they're watching the show. So thank you for, for being vulnerable with all your stories and, and everything. That's awesome. So everybody, I hate to go again, but you know, we're, we're not Superman and we act like we are because nothing's going to happen. But as you know, that's far from the truth. Nobody is. And we can look at the last five years in the world around us. And, you know, there's shootings in the schools and on the streets and work accidents and car accidents. And the pandemic was a big one, not to mention the crazy wars that we're dealing with and the natural disasters, wildfires and the floods and earthquakes that have happened. Um, it, it's crazy and we need to be better prepared. And that's why I created the app um, and bring on great people like Rhea to come and talk to us about what it really feels like behind the scenes and um, not to 
worry about talking taboo because it's really not a big deal. Um, once you start, it's very easy and not to be afraid of it. Um, that's also a big one. So if you're thinking of someone special in your mind right now watching the show, you know, pick up the phone, call them, knock on their door, Zoom or FaceTime them or whatever it is. But make sure you tell them how much you love and care about them today because you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And that being said, I always end our show with Carol Burnett. Do you remember who Carol Burnett is, Rhea? Oh, yes. Yes. Love yes, me too. I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it comes the time we have to say so long. So long, everybody. I was so happy to have Rayon come on today. You know, every moment is magic, so make every magic moment count. And um, thank you, Raya, for coming on. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, so everybody stay safe. Be kind till next week. Uh, lots, sending lots of love and light to everybody. Take care. <laughs>